This podcast is brought to you by Excess Energy Drinks and Excess Sports Nutrition, exclusively from Amway. Excess offers a collection of active and adventure products to help you energize, hydrate, strengthen, and recover. Follow us on Instagram at Excess Nation. It's inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports, the college football podcast that gives fans the inside scoop on who's moving up, who's moving down, and what's happening with all the big news of the week. Dan Wolken and Paul Meyerberg will take you through this week's poll, interview coaches, and break down the sport like nobody else, starting now. Welcome back to the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast. I'm Dan Wolken from USA Today Sports with Paul Meyerberg. And I don't know if you call this week one, week two. It's a little bit confusing, but it was the closest thing we've had to a real week of college football. You had conference games, you had big upsets. It was really interesting, and it was fun, and it was weird. And there's a lot more going on in college football to come. The SEC is going to start up in a couple weeks. And it seems like maybe the Big Ten may be on the verge of coming back. So we will get to all that throughout the podcast, as well as an interview with North Carolina coach Mac Brown, whose team got off to a great start against Syracuse on Saturday. But, Paul, I think you have to say the big story from this week, of all things, is the Sun Belt Conference. Shout out to the Sun Belt, the Fun Belt. Yeah, seriously. Sun Belt dominated. I, I, like, I'm trying to think when it felt – normal to me um like when florida state lost to georgia tech i was like oh that's a warm blanket that feels good college football's back or when utsa texas state went to double ot and a kicker missed an extra point that would have won it in regulation 42 41 that felt really good um watching clemson dominate an acc opponent felt really good felt normal um but the upsets is what really made it feel real like i could hold it tangible um louisiana beat iowa state Arkansas State beat Kansas State. <laughs> and then um, at about 1.25 a.m., Coastal Carolina put the finishing touches on its second win in a row against Kansas. Great day for the Sun Belt. Great day for America. Great day for all of us. College football was really back. Um, it was just great. The whole day was awesome. Even though it was weird, it was awesome. Well, let's start with Louisiana. First of all, congratulate them for making the coaches poll for the first time in their history. Uh, this week, I think just as important is the fact that, frankly, we called it on this podcast last week. Or at yeah, least we I called did. it. Yeah, no, I think we both called it. And look, we both called at least the fact that Louisiana was a serious team and Billy Napier is a serious football coach. Um, Iowa State losing in September is like kind of a thing. Matt Campbell's a great coach. They do a really amazing job still. Like they lose these kind of games. But this wasn't like a loss. I think Louisiana just kind of pushed them around. You know, and Iowa State prides itself on being really tough and physical. Um, Louisiana, coming from the Sun Belt, went into Big 12, Big 10 country, Midwest, and just, like, kind of dominated. And that's, yeah. like, that's that's ridiculous. I mean, Louisiana is a serious football team. Listen, it's exactly what we talked about last week, which is people will really focus on their offense and the – dynamic system they run and uh, they've got a really good experienced quarterback who's quite a playmaker, but they play a brand of football that you don't see all the time in that conference. They play a brand of football where they can go toe to toe with some of these mid-level power five teams and not get physically blown off the ball. Yeah. And going back to Arkansas state, who we talked about last time um, in reference to Memphis, like, Oh, how did Memphis look? I'm not sure. I mean, Obviously, Arkansas State's also a really good football team. They're always good under Blake Anderson. I mean, going back to Malzahn, they've been always really good. Um, but they held Kansas State to 91 yards rushing. I mean, Kansas State, another team that, that runs the football with, with abandon. So add those two teams together and add App State into the mix. I, I don't know if they're at the Americans level, obviously, but at least through that top three, they're, they're legit. That's legit top three. It's better than the top three in Conference USA. And by the way, Arkansas State was able to do that with about 20 players missing from their travel roster and I think eight starters they were down. So that just makes that even all the more impressive. On the other side of that, what a disaster for the Big 12. I mean, the Big 12 was the league that when all of the season plans started to come together, you had the SEC saying, we're only going to play conference games. And you had other leagues doing other things. And the Big 12 was insistent that they had to play a non-conference game. And look Oops. what happened. They go 0-3 against the Sun Belt. 
Now, look, I don't um, know that it matters as far as the college football playoff because who knows about any of this long term, but that's not a great look. No, I mean, it, it could. You can create a hypothetical where it impacts Oklahoma or Texas if they lose a game and, you know, the strength of schedule suffers. You know, the committee throughout the years has talked about bowl teams, like a winning record or a non-losing record. That's like one of their metrics. It's not very scientific, but they talk about that all the time, or at least the, the chairman will always say that in the, in the teleconference. So you talk about Iowa State already being 0-1, K-State already being 0-1, you know, I mean – being five and five this year and four and six, I think that makes a difference in perception. So it could hypothetically have an impact in Oklahoma though. I mean, it's not going to stop OU if they're 10 and 0, obviously for making the top four. By the way, when you look at the Amway coaches poll this week, keep in mind that uh, teams who are not currently scheduled to play games. And we're talking about here, the big 10 and the PAC 12 teams are not included in this week's poll. Now, as we move along here, and uh, if the Big Ten comes back, maybe you add them back into the mix. It's still uncertain as of the recording of this podcast when they're going to start again. But, but just keep in mind, when you see Ohio State dropping from number two to out of the poll, that's why. At some point, they, they may come back in. And I, I think that is going to be a little bit of a nightmare for voters if you talk about teams that are going to – I've already played maybe four or five games by the time Ohio state plays their first. I don't know how exactly you do that fairly, but that's what the voters are going to have to deal with this year. Yeah. I mean, I don't feel too bad for her. I mean, they'll, they'll figure it out. Look, I'll make it simple for you. When Ohio state comes back, just, just put them in the top three. Don't, don't overthink it. Just do that. But by the way, let's talk about our number one. Clemson's still number one. That didn't change. They beat Wake 37-13. You look at the final score, and you're like, okay, eh, okay. I mean, 24 points. First off, Wake played, and I don't mean this like they obviously didn't win the game. I thought Wake played almost close to a perfect game against Clemson. They played the sort of game where, like, you you, you don't make any turnovers. You commit almost zero penalties. Um, you you know, do the best you can against Clemson's defensive front, do the best you can against Trevor Lawrence and those guys. Credit to Dave Clawson because to hang with Clemson the way they did and make no mistakes, that's like a best-case scenario for Wake because I thought Clemson looked amazing. Their starters looked fantastic. Um, Second-teamers, I think they've got a lot of work to do. But I thought Clemson played great, and Wake, to a degree, hung with them the very best that they could, and that's a credit to the Deacons. Yeah, look, there's no doubt. I mean, Clemson's played a lot of those kind of games, it feels like, over the years where, you know, they go in, they get a couple scores early, and then, you know, it's a little bit of, I don't want to say cruise control, but they just make it look easy. They make it look like they're barely trying and they're not really having to to fight for it because they, they have such a big lead and the other team just can't do anything. So, uh, yeah, Wake scores 10 points in the fourth quarter to make it a little more respectable, but – Trevor Lawrence, 22 of 28, 351 yards, one touchdown. It's everything that that you thought Clemson should look like. Let's talk a little bit about a couple other teams who are highly ranked uh, to start the season and in this week's poll, who I think were maybe a little bit surprising. Oklahoma in a good way and Notre Dame in kind of a bad way. I mean, I'm not going to knock Notre Dame for winning a conference game, you know, fairly handily, but – that was a game going into the fourth quarter against Duke. I mean, it was it was not put away by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I wasn't able to watch because I was in I was at the UNC game, but I know that from talking to someone um, who covered it that Ian Book didn't look great. Um, not. Chase Bryce did a nice job for Duke um, in his first game as a as a full time starter in the ACC. Um, I thought going into the game, not for any major reason, just had a feeling that Duke was going to kind of hang with Notre Dame, and they did. Um, look, Notre Dame, they can hang their hat on the fact that they, they are, have the best winning percentage in the history of, of conference play in the FBS, 1,000. And, you know, obviously there, there are issues to address and fixes to make. I still think Notre Dame's good. I think they're very good, you know. But every team – look, we spoke about Clemson and like an Oklahoma against an inferior opponent, like just looking the part immediately. That's the exception to the rule, right? I mean, we've seen good teams, mediocre teams um, struggle from the start. And I think Notre Dame, maybe it's just a cobwebs thing. 
Yeah, I, I don't want to put too much stock in it, and I, I don't want to be too critical of any team, especially early in the season, just knowing what we know about how difficult the preparation has been. Uh, but as far as Oklahoma goes, I mean, they looked about as sharp as you can look. Uh, 48-0 over Missouri State. Bobby Petrino coached Missouri State, by the way. And I think everyone was watching to just get a look at Spencer Rattler. Now, not everybody was able to see that game because it was pay-per-view, but from all accounts, Spencer Rattler has what they call a live arm. And that <laughs> he is going to do for Oklahoma's offense a lot of things that, that for all the attention and praise and hype and Heisman votes and all that stuff, the reality of it is Jalen Hurts just is a limited passer and limited at, at anticipating where the ball needs to go, limited at, at stepping up in the pocket and making quick decisions. Spencer Rattler's got an arm. He will get the ball where it needs to go. And um, it's always a bad idea to question, or not even question, but to be skeptical in any way of Lincoln Riley's evaluation of quarterbacks. Yeah, Spencer Rattler has, um, you said it, he can rip it. Um, So it's going to be a nice little relationship here. Um, are we at the point yet where we can we can laugh about Florida State, or is it too soon? I was going to need to go through the ranked teams. Um, I was going to bring up Florida State. We do not need to go through the ranked teams before we get to Florida State because okay. that was the other big story, one of the few big stories that happened over the weekend. Yeah. Um, first off, uh, a mea culpa for Georgia Tech. I said last week that they would be terrible. They still could be terrible. Florida State would just be worse. But credit to those guys. They should have won, by the way, by by like. 21, 14, whatever you want to call it. They won 16, 13. But obviously the story here is Florida State. So this is the second time in three years that like a really highly touted first-year coach with a nice little track record has come to Tallahassee and then lost at home to a seemingly inferior opponent in an embarrassing fashion. Um, Tell me why today we shouldn't be ripping on Mike Norvell the same way that everyone ripped on Willie Taggart the Monday after or the Tuesday after he lost to Virginia Tech? Well, I think that's a fair point. Let me, let me give you a couple things. One, it's just very clear offensive line is just abysmal at Florida State. And that is the product of many years of failures in recruiting that Mike Norvell is just not going to be able to overnight be able to fix. Okay, I, I start there. Second of all, When you looked at Florida State, I mean, they played some games early on in the season in the Willie Taggart era where they just looked like – it looked like a fire drill. The whole thing looked like a fire – it's not that they were just bad. It was just embarrassingly chaotic the way they played. I mean, I think about that one game against – it wasn't – oh, who was it against? Samford? It was against Samford. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're just like – just like, what are they doing? You know, so I didn't get that feeling against Georgia Tech. They just didn't look good. They just they were just bad. They were, but it was garden variety bad, and not just set everything on fire bad. So maybe that's one difference. Um, and look, by the way, Georgia Tech, congratulations to the Yellow Jackets. I don't think anybody would have seen them be the first team in the also receiving votes category of the Amway Coaches Poll at any point this season. <laughs> no, no, but that is where and we look, are. Uh, that's crazy. That's a statement about 2020. And also, you know, way to go, Jeff Collins. I mean, high energy guy who, um, you know, knew what he was getting into. I, you know, I, it, it, it's a banner win for him and, and like a foundational and potentially. Look, let's also say, um, you know, Jeff Sims, this true freshman who had yeah. 341 yards of total offense for FSU commit. Collins <laughs> swung him, you know, and got, I'm not saying that he would have started for Florida State. He may have. Um, but, look, we know Jeff Collins is going to recruit, you know, and if he has a quarterback in Sims who in his first start with all the pressure that comes with not just playing Florida State but the team that I was formerly committed to put up a gem, you know, that's a good statement about Georgia Tech going forward. So we do want to praise the Yellow Jackets while we dismiss the Seminoles. Well, I will say this for Jeff Collins. I mean, a lot of people focus on sort of the slogans and the gimmicks and he's always got the Waffle House cup in his hand and they sort of roll their eyes a little bit at, at some of that stuff. But I would say – one, it works with kids, and that's the main thing. Two, uh, their staff is really 
good at, at figuring out what their players can do. They move guys around, and they did this at, this at Temple as well. They, they'll move guys from offense to defense, defense to offense, the tight end, the linebacker. I mean, they'll just do all kinds of things to try to find a position where guys can help. And that is a huge part of, of the Georgia Tech rebuild because just, you know, brass tacks, a lot of the guys who were recruited to play in Paul Johnson's offense just cannot play in the Jeff Collins offense. And so they've moved guys around a little bit. And I do think they played hard last year. They, they were in some games. So maybe we shouldn't be that surprised. But, yeah, for Florida State, this is just a continuation of, of a long stretch of, of misery. And I think it's clear there's going to be a lot for, for Norvell to, to fix there. So uh, yeah. congratulations to, to Georgia Tech, 26th in the Amway Coaches Bowl. Yeah. Way to go. Nice job. Look, 2-0, and you'll get in the top 25 until the Big Ten comes back and then you'll be up. 2-0 and gets you in the top 25 uh, like Army. Army's sneaking in there at number 25 this week. Yeah. They haven't beaten anyone that's any good, but they've won 79-7 to through two games. So it looked like – Army's been in the top 25 like two of the last three years, except for last year. So not a surprise. Good day for the group of five. I want people to realize, I know we always talk about the college football playoff. And we always talk about Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, blah, blah, blah. There's like some really good football, a group of five. Group of five football is better than ever. I mean, counting group of five in its previous, whatever we called it before we called it a group of five, the football there is better than ever. Well, um, if, you, so, if you include Army and BYU in the, in the group of five, even though they're, they're independents and they're not technically part of the group of five, uh, that's eight teams from that the group of five in the top 25 this week. Yeah, no, it's all deserved. A lot of good football in the group of five. And, and we won't get a chance to see it again because non-conference play is over and the records are going to suffer because they're all going to kind of beat up on each other. But App State, Louisiana, Arc State, you know, uh, FAU, UAB, who, by the way, we'll go back to Thursday real quick. I thought Miami looked very good against UAB. But UAB, those all those group of five teams, these are really, really good teams that would beat most, you know, more power five teams than not, I think, except for that upper half, which they obviously, like, when UAB plays Miami, there's a talent gap. Well, let's talk to somebody who was actually on the field yesterday participating in a season opener in a really surreal environment. Uh, that would be Mac Brown, the North Carolina coach, whose team beat Syracuse in the opener. Let's check in with him and get his thoughts on what happened in week one. Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. Adventure, compete, apply, recover, and repeat with excess topical CBD products. Excess CBD creams and spray range from 250 milligrams to 400 milligrams of CBD plus aloe vera, menthol, and arnica montana to deliver topical recovery support within minutes. Unlike many other CBD products, Excess, exclusively from Amway, offers products that either warm or cool the skin, and all Excess CBD products are dermatologist and third-party tested to ensure quality and safety. Get back in the game faster. Follow us on Instagram at XSNation to experience more. And stay tuned after the podcast to learn about new cutting-edge CBD technology and how it's being used to support recovery after exercise with fitness influencer and world traveler Nicole Lewis. Now, back to Inside the Amway Coaches Poll with Dan Wolken and Paul Meyerberg. Pleased to be joined now on the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast by North Carolina coach Mac Brown, fresh off a 31-6 win over Syracuse in the season opener. Mac, congratulations on the win. Where would you rank yesterday just in terms of odd days in your coaching career? Dan, I think it's the, the most odd game I've ever been involved with. It just from the roller coaster ride that these kids and coaches have been on since spring break uh, I asked some of the guys and, and the day before the game, when did you think we were going to play? And most of them admitted it, a week to 10 days before the game is the first time they actually thought we would play. Uh, so I think that's why we're seeing so much inconsistency now. It's it's come from, this is crazy, we're not going to play. They're going to move it to spring to, oh my gosh, we're playing. Um and the kids have been incredible. They're all trying, but it, it's just uh, the inconsistencies. And then you have you, – you've lost all of your traditions. So you don't have your walk before the game with all the fans. You you don't have your, your 
pregame with fans. You don't have your students. You don't have your bands. You don't have your cheerleaders. So it's just, you don't have parents for us. So it's just so different. And then when there's a big play on the field, you're looking around and you got a few kids that are high-fiving each other and nobody else is moving and there's no sound. And then, yeah. uh, so it's, it's like a, a scrimmage against another team to start the game. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad that the, the, the powers to be deemed that it was safe for the kids to play because they needed to play and they're excited about playing. But it is very, very different. And, and hopefully week two will be more used to it and, and everybody will start playing better. You know, Mac, it was surreal, honestly. And the most surreal part was, like you said, the noise. Like you sit up in the press box and you're attuned to hear the noise. And almost like you're paying attention to what you're doing, but you can tell what's happening in the game by the ambient soundtrack of college football. Um, do you think that the guys, like, for example, Chad Surratt, your great linebacker, said before the game, I've never been more excited to play a football game than this. Do you think that they maintain that energy and were able to keep that kind of high level of activity despite the strange conditions, the fact that there was no background? Paul, they, they really did. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised. In fact, ours got better as the game went on. And, uh, and watching the, the video last night after the game, I wouldn't have known any different in, in their energy level playing. And even on the sideline, there was more energy than I thought during the game because I was frustrated because I said, come on, guys, we got to create our energy. And I got a mask on. They've got mask on. It's hard to hear it. It's everybody's got a muffled, you know, my, my interview with uh, Taylor Davis at halftime, I couldn't hear her because <laughs> she had her mask on and she's muffled and, and uh, even we don't have recruits. So normally you'd be talking to recruits before the game. And here I am on game day standing out there during stretch because there's nobody around. And, and the, so I think we've just all got to get used to it and thank goodness we're playing and, and the kids are staying safe that are playing. I, I have not seen any case where football, has spread the virus, which is great for all of us. I'm seeing when people go outside the bubble, they bring the virus back in and it, it affects an entire team very quickly. It, it just spreads so fast. So hopefully we will get to a point here that kids will understand we can't go outside the bubble. It is what it is if we want to play. We saw a bunch of road teams upset favorite home teams yesterday do you think that has anything to do with the lack of atmosphere, that, that home field advantage is just not really much of a factor this season? Yeah, Dan, absolutely. I, I would have thought differently than that going into the game because supposedly you can have your own crowd noise. Well, 80 minutes before the game, we had to agree with Syracuse on crowd noise. Well, they don't want any crowd noise. So they're going to say, no, 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 we can't. You can't got to keep it down. So I didn't notice our crowd noise during the game at all. But I would have thought just the, 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 the new way that you have to travel, staying in a hotel away from where you've stayed, not knowing about what to touch and sanitation. And I thought that there would be more teams going on the road that wouldn't play well. And it's been just the opposite. Uh, I, I think that uh, you're so right in that there is no home field advantage anymore, period. And for teams like us last year that sold out every game, um, it's a real disadvantage for us and our kids are used to it now and they're excited about it. And, and, and it really did hurt us. Now TV ratings are going to be out, out of the roof, uh, but they're, they're just going to be over the top simply because everybody's watching college football because not many can go. So the about midway through the third, maybe a little bit earlier until the, the whistle, you guys were pretty much in complete control. You know, you scored 21 in the fourth, but I think you started picking up earlier in the second half. Do you attribute the – I don't want to call it sluggishness. You've seen the tape. I don't know what you would attribute it to. But in terms of being able to get into a rhythm, how much do you attribute that to the fact that your offseason was so weird, that you didn't have the rhythm and the traditional flow of your fall camp? Is there anything to that? Paul, I would like to blame it completely on that, but Syracuse <laughs> had the same offseason. And, so, uh, and, and I do think a little bit of ours is uh, – we're coaching a team that had won five games in two years going into last year. They win seven, and now they're getting all kinds of praise that nobody on this team's ever gotten before. And Syracuse kept talking about who's opting out. And uh, this guy's they, – they had to stop because of uh, COVID. And so our guys read all that stuff. And I'm not sure they didn't walk in there with a little swagger and, and think, this is going to be easy, man. This is cool, and we're not, we're not at that place. 
we've got to play and we've got to play hard. And then we go down and score immediately. We overcome a fourth and seven. We score. It's all easy. There's a three and out. And, and then we have to uh, get a tip ball for an interception to get them excited. Then we drop a punt. Uh, that gets them more excited. Then we rough their punter that gets them more excited. So we absolutely just botched the second quarter. I thought we played a pretty good first quarter. We we went to sleep the second quarter and then started taking control in the third. Are you comfortable with the hype? I mean, you're you're familiar with it. You've had teams that had the offseason hype from January to August, September. Do you think you're comfortable with this team so soon being given that sort of attention? I'm comfortable with it, Paul. I'm not sure they are yet. And I talked to them about it Friday. I said, this is the life I've lived. And, and this is what I expect. And this is what we want. Now, to do that, you got to be really good and you got to play every week. You, you can't take weeks off. You can't take days off. And if you, you all can just make a decision. If, if you want to be really good, then play up to the hype. Because I call it pride, not pressure. If you take it as pressure and you can't handle it, you won't be very good. And I tell you, it goes away with one game. So I told them it's really, really hard to keep the hype and you better play good every week. And you've got to practice good every week to play good every week. And with that hype comes more uh, pressure from the other teams because they're going to be more ready to play last year. Nobody thought we we're any good. So they, they weren't ready to play against us. I said this year, they're going to be ready to play. So you're going to see different teams and different performances so it is what it is. You got to understand it. Um, it's a lot more fun, but it's a lot harder to live in that world. Mac, you guys had so much momentum last year in the recruiting aspect with your first full recruiting class. And it seemed like you were really excited about the kind of players that you were able to, to commit last year. But obviously the recruiting in this dynamic is, is so different. How have you been able to keep momentum and – is it going to be difficult when it comes down to brass tacks and you know these guys have to sign papers and many of them may not even get a chance to really visit campus? Dan, we're, we're fortunate in that we have a, a footprint that we recruit from. It's from D.C. to Atlanta. So really nobody's further than about six hours away. Most are in-state or two and a half, three hours away. Uh, so uh, most of our guys had already been here as, as sophomores, they, they came back last year as juniors. So everybody that we've committed had already been on campus and, and numerous times they came to games last year. So it's a little bit different for us where it will be more different though, is the 22s. You, you've got two or three different factors that you've got to look at. Uh, number one, the NCAA said this year doesn't count. So we could have 97 players on scholarship next year. Well, that, that's cool for them, tough for these athletics directors. they got to pay for it when they got no money. But then the next year you have to get back to 85. So you've got to be really careful because you may have a very limited number of scholarships for that 22 class. Yeah. And in North Carolina, they're not playing, but none of us can go out and, and watch teams play now anyway. We can't go to Georgia. We can't go to South Carolina. So the evaluation process for this year's group is going to be probably mostly or, or entirely on video because right now February is even dead, and that's when the North Carolina teams will start playing. So it's a, it, it'll be a, I don't think 21 will be affected as much. We've had some kids that didn't come and visit us, and they said, Coach, I can't wait. I've, I've already been to this school, so I'm going to commit to them now. I haven't seen yours. I'm sorry, and that's okay. But, but the guys that had been here have, have uh, committed to us, and, and I feel good about them sticking. I want to ask you a little bit about the Amway coaches poll. You have been doing this for a long time. You've voted in the poll a bunch of times. What's been your process over the years just in terms of monitoring other teams, understanding kind of where – uh, teams fit in when you can't really keep a close eye on them because they're not in your conference and also voting for your own team. Did you have a philosophy on that? Well, I, um, uh, it, it makes it very difficult to, to be fair and be honest because you're, you're, you've got friends that you're voting against. You've got teams in your league that may be a rival that you don't think are as good as people think they are and you're voting them down. And when it becomes public, you have to have conversations about all of that. Um, and at the same time, Dan, I, I really love the polls. I didn't 
feel like they were as, as true until midseason because I, I don't like preseason polls. Uh, that's what I've told our players. You, you're being ranked high off last year's team, off the momentum you had and who we've got coming back. You hadn't done anything. So, so my philosophy, I'd always sit down with our sports information director every Sunday, and I would ask him to, to give me every detail. I'm a football junkie, so I watched every game I could watch, and, and I pulled up scores every, every Saturday night after we'd get through. And, and then uh, I took it re- very seriously. And, and it's one reason that um, I don't always like doing it because I put a lot of pressure on myself to make sure I did what was best for college football. And it's hard to do while, while you're coaching full-time. I didn't want to give it to somebody else and then at the end of the year, me look at it for the first time. And I hope that all of our coaches that vote are really taking it seriously because it matters and it changes the, the scope of college football and it helps people either get in or out of, of the playoffs. So um, I, I love the poll. I love what we're doing with it. I love the coaches who really understand it and know where they're voting. Um, but it's, it, it is tough and it puts a lot of pressure on them and they have to do what's right for college football. Well, Mac, thanks so much for joining us on the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Congratulations on the week one win, and good luck the rest of the season. Thanks, Dan and Paul, for having me on. Really appreciate you both. I thought uh, our opener was perfect. We're 1-0, and uh, and we've got a lot of things we've got to fix. So that's as good as it gets. I can go yell at them today uh, simply because they know we've got to get better. Good well, Mac, you said yesterday that you're going to uh, – if you walk through the office – uh, and you heard what you were saying, you would have thought you lost the game. So that's the coach's dream, right? You can scream and not scream, but you can point out the flaws, but still say, hey, we're still one of them. It's absolutely the truth. If I would have thought that we would have beaten an ACC team 31 to six and been disappointed, I would have hit myself in the face. <laughs> that, that means we're at a, a better place than, than we were this time last year. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Good to talk to you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. All right, Paul, let's talk about the Big Ten right now. Uh, As we record this podcast, Midday Sunday, there are machinations going on. We might be seeing Big Ten football after all. It's a little bit of a mess. It's a little bit uh, uh, chaotic. It's not a unanimous thing. But my understanding of kind of where we're at as of right now is for the past – you know, it's 10 days or so, the Big Ten has been working with their medical advisory board to try to figure out a return to play plan. And, of course, when Ryan Day and James Franklin said what they said late last week and kind of criticized the conference, they knew full well what was happening and what was going on behind the scenes. But the bottom line to it all is we are going to get a presidential-level vote whether it's Sunday or Monday or Tuesday, it's going to happen soon, probably before a lot of you were listening to this podcast. And we'll find out what the Big Ten intends to do. But it does seem like because of testing, there's been a shift in their position. Just kind of where do you see all of this going right now? Yeah, I mean, it's looking like we're going to have football again in the Big Ten, you know, and that's great. I mean, I'm, I'm extremely excited. I just – I don't – it's just embarrassing. The whole thing is embarrassing for the big 10. Like, come on. It's been a month. I understand we've had a few developments in the last month. I just don't know what we're waiting on. And I, I don't know why, if we look back on it, why they paused in the first place or why they even went so far as to say we're postponing the fall season. It just makes them look stupid. makes them look like they have no idea what they're doing. Um, which is probably the case. I mean, that's at least my perception of things. Um, I'm glad they're going to get back on the field. I mean, because they never should have left. No one, they should have played from the start. That doesn't make sense that they postponed it in the first place. They should have just kind of wrote it out and seen how things would have looked in, in early September, mid-September. Okay, but let me offer you this question. When you look at the fact that we're having games left and right that are being postponed because of COVID outbreaks, you know, Memphis-Houston, uh, BYU-Army, Virginia-Virginia Tech, it, it's just really difficult, I think, for everybody right now to – feel confident about playing. I mean, there, we've seen teams that have been able to pull it off, but at the same time, you're just holding your breath for the next test, right? That, that nothing's going to go wrong. And, and then you've got to like move all these pieces around the chessboard. What if the big 10 by doing what they did just sort of backs 
into a season where actually they have a better chance of doing it without interruptions? Well, I mean, yeah, they gave themselves some time, but I think you could have had the time anyway. I, I think an issue that you have to think about is they start on October 17th and try to cram a year in. They don't really have the same amount of time as the other teams do or other conferences do. Same amount of wiggle room to have those situations that you've had in the American and, and you're having in the Big 12. You know, Oklahoma State was able to push a game back and Houston was able – I mean, they rescheduled, but Houston was able to, to change a game. So if you start in the 17th, as, as what's been reported – you got to get eight games in. Your season can only go till December 19th. What is that? Is that like one bye week? Yeah, no, I mean, you know I know there's a bye week, but one additional buffer week for each team in addition to a bye week? No margin for error at all. And right. also remember, if the Big Ten does decide to resume playing, not everybody is probably going to be ready by then. And some schools may not play at all. It's possible. So what do you think of that possibility? Is the Big Ten? Here's what I think. Right, so if there's that 14 now, if they go down to – can they go down to 10? I mean, eight maybe. I mean, who knows what it's going to be exactly. But it's, it's going to be a little bit of a joke of a season. And, and what we'll look back on and I think be able to determine is that the pressure, the political pressure, the, all the protests, just sort of the way the Big Ten was sort of absent in all of this, basically – if they play, it's because the college presidents basically just threw up their hands and said, we're tired of dealing with this, play your season, and it's going to be kind of a joke, right? I mean, a six-game a six game season, it would be a joke. Yeah, but six the joke is on the Big Ten. Like, not on the teams, not on the coaches, not on the players. The joke is on the Big Ten, and, and the joke is on the fans who wanted to watch football because they created this situation. Uh, okay, COVID created this situation but they've created this environment for themselves by being an absolutely pathetic job from start to finish and handling this from start to finish. I'm glad they're coming back. It's overdue. I mean, if you look at the situation that you're seeing elsewhere, yeah, there are reasons to be cautious and be careful, but to be so dramatic last month, um, they've created the situation for themselves. So they're the joke. Um, and if they play six games, you know, and Ohio state, all of a sudden they go five and one because they lose a shocker and they're not going to make the playoff. That's ridiculous. That's, that's a shame. That's a tragedy um, in terms of the football aspect of it. So I'm, I'm glad they're going to come back, but you know, I don't know how it's going to look like you're saying, if they play six games, it's gonna be hard for the playoff and the committee and others to, to judge the big 10 against the other leagues. Yeah. This is why I was advocating earlier in the year in the summer for there to be some sort of benchmark to say, can we start playing September 1st? Yes or no. And then everybody says, no, all right, well, then we're going to move it to October, whatever, October 1st, October 15th, that that was going to be the new benchmark. And then you determine in September whether that looks realistic or not. And then everybody moves on to that one. And then if that one doesn't work, then you start to look at December, January. That's what made the most sense. But because the sport is so fractured and every conference has their own agenda, then you end up with – yeah, this, this sort of crazy, chaotic thing. You're right. The Big Ten did not need to, on August 5th, say we're done for the year. They didn't need to do that. Um, and if you're telling me that the only thing that's changed between then and now is, is daily testing, I'm not sure I totally buy that. Um, because, first of all, the daily testing capability is not quite in hand yet, right? It's, it's, it's coming, and we've got all of these – schools and conferences who are contracting with these labs to get it. It's not quite there yet. And then even then, you, you do need a ramp-up period. I will tell you that I think trying to get ready to play in three or four weeks when a lot of these programs in the Big Ten have not been doing anything lately, I think that's a little crazy. Well, you know, I've seen more coaches recently echo Harbaugh on, say, three weeks. Even Barry Alvarez said three weeks, I think yesterday or the day before. Three weeks seems – it just – they know more than we do. Three weeks just seems fast, like we said in the last podcast. Three weeks just seems quick because you haven't been able to get – you know, you haven't been able to have normalcy for your program the last couple of weeks. Having said that, I mean, these guys know their players, you know, and I think they know what they're capable of doing and turning it around. Um, if it's three weeks, you know, and they announce this week, that's – you know, you'll have four weeks. You'll have a month if it's October 17th. I think that's safe. Um, but – there has to be a, uh, 
a conference kind of, they need to be open about it as a conference about how they're going to get teams ready to go. You shouldn't just leave it up to the program about, Hey, that's, that's rock and roll. They need to set hourly, you know, and practice standards and, and let the guys get ready instead of just leaving it up to the team. Well, yeah. Like Wisconsin right now is not doing anything right. Because they've had some outbreaks and situations. I, I do wonder how all this is going to play when, you look at the numbers, the Midwest is right now kind of rising in, in terms of cases. Uh, you've had campuses that are going online in the Big Ten. Um, I think it's just going to be a really interesting conversation, like to be a fly on the wall in that president's meeting to see kind of where everybody sits and stands. And, and you talk about transparency of how you're going to be able to get your teams ready. Transparency of who stands where, I think, will be critical right now because of the way they bungle the, the initial rollout. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would like to give a little bit of credit to guys like Ryan Day. And you mentioned Day and Franklin uh, Frost at Nebraska. You know, I, I think those guys, um, political pressure obviously came from uh, up on very, very high. And I think obviously people felt that. But those guys beat the drum. And I think that they created a, for better or worse, for some of the period, because it created a frenzy, they did create a conversation around it and didn't stand pat. So I give some credit to those guys that they, they did what they had to do or did what they felt they had to do to get the season together. Um, on the other hand, you know, if it's a 10 game season and you're like, you know, Purdue and you're like, Hey, let's play football. Be careful what you wish for, because you're going to play nine games against the big 10 and maybe you go one and eight, you know, cause you know, it's not going to be an easy road of it for a lot of teams for this next month or so. But I think Big Ten football back is obviously great for college football and, and great for the players most of all. So I'm happy to see it. Well, and then you'd have to think that uh, the Pac-12 would be fairly close behind. Um, but again, I, I do sort of – I'm a little uncomfortable with the idea that you're coming back and you're rushing coming back and it's this whole sprint just because you want to have Ohio State eligible for the college football playoff. You know, right. and, and – and like when Ryan Day came out with that statement, the reason I said I didn't think it was helpful is because this has all been happening sort of behind the scenes. Um, it's been a very sort of organized process. And for Ryan Day and James Franklin to kind of throw the, the kindling on the fire there, I think was more risky in terms of upsetting some of the presidents who are maybe willing to go along with this, but uncomfortable about the way it's playing out and the, and the perception of it. And so I think there was a bit of a risk there. But yeah, that's interesting. Um, if it was that close to the finish line, you're right. It could have, you know, sent things back in the other direction. You know, I, no one did I, – I wouldn't really say anyone did a great job. Let's just leave it at that. It's been a bad month. I think that the Big Ten has done more damage to itself in the last month than goodwill it developed in the previous decade. Um, you know, the, the conference right now, it's like – formerly the, the leader of the conversation, I wouldn't lead, ask them to lead anything at this point or trust them to do that because they've, they've just bundled and, and done a horrible job throughout. Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. All right, let's get into next week's slate of games. It, it's not the most exciting slate, let, let's be honest. Um, the ACC, I, I think, put a lot of games this past weekend and then wanted to have a little bit of a break for some of these teams just to kind of – work out any issues. So uh, we're still waiting for the SEC to start. That'll be later this month, and then we'll kind of go from there. But um, when you talk about games that are happening this coming weekend, I think the most interesting thing that happened is the fact that Houston and Baylor figured out how to schedule each other, I think, in all of five minutes. Houston was supposed to play Memphis in a American Athletic Conference game. Memphis – shows up Friday with a bunch of positive tests. Uh, apparently, you know, their guys were on the party bus or something like that. So Memphis can't play. Uh, all of a sudden, they've got an opening. Baylor had an opening, I think, because somebody canceled on them. So lo and behold, it comes together literally in a matter of hours that, that, that Baylor and Houston are going to play. And it it's kind of brings light to this whole idea of, I think, the past maybe decade – Athletic directors have tried to schedule games 20-something years out. I mean, you, you, you know, I think Oklahoma's got non-conference games scheduled in like 2038 or something like that. And yet you see teams that can do it literally a day. So I, I sort of wonder if maybe we need to kind of reevaluate the whole scheduling thing. Yeah. 
Exactly. Um, that's a good game. Baylor Houston's a good game. It's a good game. Oklahoma is going to be like its own country in 2038. We're going to be 50 <laughs> federated countries. Um, yeah. I, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about like, you should schedule conference game, non-conference, like maybe the January before the season, you should schedule non-conference games on like Tuesday, you know, I mean, just like reserve a charter flight and like, we don't know where we're going, but you're going to need to be ready Friday at 6am to take us to, you know, state college U. Um, so it shoots holes in the idea that you need to have some all, all kind of prep work. Um, to me, the most important um, thing to know about this weekend is that South Florida and Notre Dame, another game that got scheduled late, is going to be on the USA Network. Um, I believe this is the first time in the history of the world that the USA Network has had a football game. I don't even know what's on USA Network anymore. Um, I don't think that they're showing – is USA Network like reruns? They're showing like uh, old episodes of Bones or something like that most of the time on Saturdays or even weekdays? I got to tell you, I think the last time I watched the USA Network was – like 10 years ago when they would broadcast early round us open tennis matches because they had the contract, I think along with CBS and CBS would broadcast like the big matches in the final or whatever, but like those midweek night matches from the U S open would always be on USA. And I don't think I've turned on USA since ESPN got that contract. (laughs) Honestly, I didn't know USA network still existed. It's, I know it's a familiar network. I didn't like, I don't even know where it is on the dial. Um, I know where TNT TBS is cause you watch some basketball and, and whatever. I don't know where USA network is. It's like true TV. I'm going to have to scroll from one to 9,999 to find USA network to watch Notre Dame on Saturday. Um, so that's really cool. The fact that we're talking about this really solidifies the idea that this is a, um, this is not a great week of games. It's oh, great. Wow. If you like college football, it's not that great. Um, we're going to watch it all and eat it all up. But the game of the week is probably Central Florida at Georgia Tech at 3.30. We spoke about the Yellow Jackets. This is the game of the week. The game of the week. Not Miami-Louisville? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. You're right. Um, That's a tie. I think there's a lot more interesting backstory to UCF-Georgia Tech. I mean, Miami-Louisville is probably a more high-quality game. But um, Georgia Tech, obviously, our team number 26. Um, UCF, you know, this is their make-a-statement game. Georgia Tech just beat Florida State. The only people happier or almost as happy as Georgia Tech about that is UCF because it gives them a feather in the cap with that win. This is the Georgia O'Leary Bowl. Oh, yeah. Does Georgia Tech have a Georgia O'Leary statue outside their There's stadium? There's no Georgia O'Leary statue, no. Mm. Okay. Well, they should get on that. Um, UCF is, is monopolizing the Georgia O'Leary statue market. I believe they do have a statue. I've been to UCF multiple times. I may be wrong. Does that sound ridiculous? That there's a George O'Leary statue? George O'Leary statue. Oh, I'm not getting anything so far. I might have just made this up. Oh, no. You know what? They do have a statue. What's weird about it is that he's smiling in the statue. So that's going to not be um, representative of real life. But they do have a statue of George O'Leary. There are like so more wrong. weird things that happened in George O'Leary's career than just about anybody. Remember the time he decided to just become the athletic director at UCF? he just kind of woke up one day and said all right i'm gonna do that job too interesting man um with an interesting career he's got he, i think he has more wikipedia subsections than any coach um <laughs> because they have a lot of things to explain um but yeah uh, ucf georgia tech i think ucf wins the game I, I i i don't know if it's possible but i think we're all sleeping on ucf still um they've got a really good young quarterback in, in gabriel um, a lot of speed and talent. I know that they believe at UCF that this is, you know, his best team for Josh Heupel. So look out for them. You know, I'm not saying they're going to finish top four, but if they run the table in the American, I think you got to talk about them as at least having a case, especially if they beat Georgia Tech by, you know, 10 or 14. Another game I think a lot of people are going to be interested in. I mean, not a lot of people, but like the true hardcore college football fans is, is Navy playing Tulane. Uh, Navy obviously looked awful in in their opener. So, It'll be interesting to see how they bounce back. But this game's on ABC, and I don't know if you saw the ending uh, of this game, but Tulane came from uh, 24-6 down to, South, uh, down to South Alabama on the road and, and came back to win that game late. So I don't know what that says about Tulane, but uh, to start the season with a big second-half comeback, uh, for a year in which I think a lot of people think that they're going to be 
a, a contender in the Western Division, that's a, that's a good win. So, and, and a big opportunity for, for Tulane to, to host uh, Navy and, and get a conference win, a division win un, under their belt. So, uh, I mean, literally, who would have ever thought Tulane would be hosting a national ABC game? Yeah, even at noon. We'll, we'll see what Navy has learned in the last – in the previous 12 days um, after getting blown out by BYU. Obviously, they're going to start tackling in practice or having some contact. Um, yeah, Tulane just, like, kind of survived against South Alabama. There's nothing pretty about it, but it was obviously a game that they couldn't afford to lose for a lot of reasons because South Alabama wants to make inroads in that region for recruiting, and, and if you beat Tulane like they had a chance and probably should have, then, then that's a major – asset for them. So good win for Tulane, regardless of the fact that it was not sealed until South Alabama had that 15 yard penalty late in the fourth on a potential punt. Yeah. Uh, other games just to talk, touch on briefly, Tulsa goes to Oklahoma state. Uh, the Louisiana team that just upset Iowa state is actually coming to my town in Atlanta. They're going to be playing Georgia state at the uh, former Turner field. Uh, Liberty is opening their season. Hugh freeze against uh, Western Kentucky. Uh, Boston College goes to Duke. It's uh, Boston College's opener. App State at Marshall. You know, that, that's, a, that's a game that uh, has got a lot, of, uh, a lot of significance potentially. But, uh, yeah, other than that, uh, Clemson shouldn't have any problem with Citadel. SMU North Texas will be one to watch as well. But, uh, yeah, it's a little bit light. Uh, NC State, after a couple – hiccups in their COVID situation early. They're going to open uh, at 8 p.m. against Wake Forest. So that's kind of where we are. It's going to be just week by week, kind of hold on to your hat. And there's going to be games canceled. There's going to be games postponed. It's, it's going to be chaotic. It's going to be crazy. We're about to probably bring the Big 12 online here, at least to some degree. So a lot going on, and, and we will be here every week to document it on the Inside the Amway Coaches Full Podcast. For Paul Meyerberg, I am Dan Walken. We will talk to you soon. You've been listening to Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Hi, I'm Nick, XS Brand Ambassador. Cannabidal, or as most people know it, CBD, has many uses, but athletes use topical CBD to recover and get back in the game faster. Not all CBD is created equal, though, and not all CBD is pure, safe, and effective. In fact, there are some products that contain more THC than allowed, and others like quality control and safety testing. I use any excess CBD product after a workout or adventure so that I can get back out there tomorrow. I feel confident when I use their CBD cream, cool spray, or CBD pro cream with warming effect because of the extraordinary steps excess takes to ensure safety and quality. Not only do they use a third-party lab to verify safety, but excess posts all certificates of analysis on Amway.com. Take your recovery game to the next level with excess CBD. For more information, go to Amway.com and search CBD. Excess energy drinks and sports nutrition exclusively from Amway.